0: Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen. This is one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This past week, we wrapped up our mini-series called Plain and Simple, examining Jesus's Sermon on the Plain from Luke chapter 6. As we come to the end of this mini-series, we are looking at the idea of foundations and the foundation that we build upon in our spiritual lives. Are we building good things on a foundation that maybe isn't Jesus Christ? And what are the implications and consequences for us as we move forward trying to follow him? Uh, So let's listen in to Pastor Blake as he opens up Luke chapter 6 and challenges us to dig deep in this week's message.
1: As they make their way back to their seats, I want to encourage you to open God's Word to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. If you've got a physical Bible, I encourage you to bring it and use it. If you don't, you can look it up on your phone. We will have some text on the screen today as well. Hey, if you're new with us this morning, I want to welcome you and, uh, and let you know that we're glad you're here. Um, also want to let you know that after the gathering, uh, we've got a small gift for you out on the connect desk in the lobby. And uh, we would love to, to give that to you, let you know that we're glad you're here. Learn your name, learn a little bit of your story as we uh, as we continue on this mission together here as, as the church. Um, Luke 6, Luke 6. We're going to read from verses 46 to 49, so a short passage this morning, the end, the end of a sermon, not my sermon, but the sermon of Jesus Christ, and he's speaking to uh, his disciples and a crowd of people, and as he concludes, this is what he has to say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my word, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, And immediately, it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being the living word, Jesus. For coming to be amongst us. And so today, we pray that your spirit would proclaim that word to us. That it would help us to understand and to know that you are God. And we are not. Help us to trust you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all of us want a hero to follow, don't we? Every one of us does. And this weekend, many of us will will get to celebrate or remember a lady who is a hero for us. The lawyers uh, got the opportunity to celebrate my mom last night. Uh, We were together in, in Indiana. And uh, one special thing that we got to celebrate was her official defeat of cancer. Yeah, we're excited for it. A couple weeks ago, after having fought against two rounds of breast cancer, she's, she's lived in remission for several years, but a couple weeks ago, my mom's uh, doctor declared her not just in remission, but cured. And uh, we are so grateful for that because mom defeated her enemy. Mom defeated her enemy. Um, but mom hasn't always been perfect. I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to get ribbed for it later, okay? So when I was little, we lived in Minnesota for a time, and Caitlin is going to laugh at this point. But yeah, I, We lived in Minnesota, and, and maybe I've told this story. I can't remember. It's a famous one in our family. Uh, I was uh, about one, two, and uh, my parents worked on a hog farm in, in Minnesota. They were hog farmers. And um, while we were there in Minnesota, they have some pretty tough winters, as you might know. And I had been left in the house, sleeping, taking a nap, while mom and dad went to the barn to work on some things with the pigs. I woke up. I woke up in my diaper, and I knew enough to know where mom and dad were. And so I put on these huge rubber boots that were way too big in a drift of snow that was over a foot tall, because it's in Minnesota, sub-zero temperatures, and I walked to the barn in my diaper and rubber boots in Minnesota winter. It was not a good situation. (laughs) I was not in good shape when I was banging on the door of the hog barn. And who was there? Mom. Mom. So I tell that story because who leaves their one-year-old asleep in the house? Come on, Mom. But also because even though she made a mistake, she was still my hero when she opened the door, took me in on the warming mats for the pigs, laid me on there, and saved all my limbs. I don't, you know, So here I am, and I'm thankful for that. We all want a hero to follow, right? And I also share that because, moms, if you're beating yourself up today, you could be my mom. She let me walk in Minnesota winter in just a diaper. So, you know, it's all good. I love my mom, and, and she is a hero to me in, in many ways. But, uh, you know, it's, it's that attribute... Of defeating an enemy that's important to any hero. In fact, you're not really a hero unless you do that, are you? You've got to defeat the enemy. The people that Jesus was preaching to on the plane wanted a hero to follow as well. If you've been tracking with us or if you've ever read Luke 6 before, you may remember back in verses 18 and 19 that the crowd that came was wanting to hear him. They were wanting to be healed by him. They they recognized the power that Christ had over their enemies, and they wanted to be a part of that because we all want a hero to follow. We all want someone that we can call Lord, if you will. And so Jesus comes to the end of his sermon, and he says, hold on. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? And he goes on, I will show you someone, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. The crowd had come looking for a hero. They found him, and and some of them had stayed to listen. And now they heard all that Jesus has said. They had heard it, but there was a gap between hearing it and taking action. Caitlin shared a TikTok with me a few weeks ago. And it, I, it's just awesome. So the, the TikTok is set like from within a, a child's room or a, a, a kid's room, looking out at their bedroom door. And the dad comes in, and he walks past the door, and, and the son in the background says, "Hey, Dad, did y'all eat?" And Dad's like, "Yeah, we ate." And he's like, "Hey, I, I asked Mom to get me something to eat. Did, did y'all get me something to eat? Get me something to eat while you were out?" He's like, "Hey, hey, babe, did you, did you get him something to eat?" mom walks into the door and she's like oh i forgot i I forgot we didn't get you anything to eat and the dad's like oh yeah you babe you told me and i i forgot too it's crazy like people forget things right i mean son you definitely understand right like like when we asked you to clean your room yesterday and you forgot i'm sorry we we forgot we just forgot to get you something to eat but but tomorrow we'll try to remember again tomorrow to get you something to eat Sometimes there's a gap, right, between our hearing and our doing. Even when we're talking about our hero. We hear our hero, but doing what our hero says, sometimes we struggle with that. Moms, can I get an amen? Our kids sometimes hear us. There's this gap between hearing us and doing. And I have to ask this, right? How many things do we forget to do after we hear Jesus ask us to do them? Just in the last few weeks as we've studied this sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, he's asked his listeners, which now includes you because you've heard him preach the sermon, he's asked you to do a few things. Love your enemies. Be merciful. Don't judge or condemn. Forgive. Give. Give. Guard your heart. So we we come to Jesus, just like these crowds, looking for a hero. We hear what the hero says, and then we throw mercy out the door when when someone in our family fails to meet our expectations. We come to Jesus, we we hear what he says, and then we go home and and scroll through Facebook as judgment and condemnation ooze out of our hearts. Mm, Look at what she has on. We come to Jesus, we hear what he says, and then instead of forgiving the coworker that said something hurtful or isn't pulling their weight, we just get bitter. We come to Jesus, we hear what he says, and then we just run back to our schedule. We run back to our plans with no thought of what Jesus wants us to do. There's a gap, right, between our hearing and our doing. It's true for all of us, but, but what is it that creates that gap? And in the back of our minds, we we hear the Lord's voice saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? You see, that gap between hearing and doing is trust. It's trust. When we aren't living like Jesus, when we're not doing what he says, it's because we don't really trust him enough to do what he says. I don't really trust that God will bring justice, so I struggle to love my enemies because I feel like vengeance is mine. I mean, it sounds good that, that, that God will bring justice. I heard it. I just don't trust it. I don't trust that God can or will forgive me. Like, do you know what's in my story? I, I, I hear it, but I struggle to trust it, and so because of that, I struggle to forgive others. I trust that God will provide everything that I need, right? Or I, I, I don't trust that, so I struggle to give of my time and my talent and my treasures. Because I'm just not sure if I really trust that what God says about himself is, is true. And so you don't do any of those things. You hear them. They all sound really good. They're very tweetable, but to do them is a completely different thing. And before long, you find yourself doing things to get for yourself the things that God has already made a plan to give to you. But all of a sudden, it's on your shoulders. Because I don't trust that God has a plan for my life, that, that he knew me before he created, like, like before I was created, he, he knew me, he knew me in my, he knit me together in my mother's womb. Which I, you know what, I, I'm not sure that I trust that. I like my life plan Better. And that plan, it requires me to make more money, to be successful, to create opportunities for my kids. And before long, life is consumed by building your financial house to to support that. And, And it becomes filled with the stress of making those things happen. And right here, Jesus says, when the flood comes, so too does the destruction of what you've built. Years of trying to make your plan in life work out crumble before your eyes? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? If you're looking for a hero, if you're looking for someone to save you and defeat your enemy, why do you not do the things that I say? You've got my attention, Lord. And so he goes on and he he gives this illustration, this, this word picture that some of you learned in Sunday school with the song, right? He says, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, who hears my words and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. Now, we hear this word picture, this picture, this illustration, and we all quickly begin comparing the two builders that, that Jesus describes. And we immediately begin assessing which we are by, by comparing the results of our building. Like, when I look at my life, where is my building, right? And, and there's, there's some good in that. But before we get there, I, I want us to think about one particular phrase that Jesus uses. When the flood came. When the flood came. You see, when Jesus speaks about this flood, it it suggests that he has a a specific flood in mind. And that should get our brains thinking a little bit. When Jesus uses this illustration, what flood is is he thinking of? What flood does he have in mind? Well, most of us probably run immediately to the flood in Genesis 6. Noah, big big boat. Genesis 6, 17, and 18, God says to Noah, Understand that I am bringing a flood, Flood floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. Now, God, God sent a flood that destroyed creation because of sin. Because of sin. You know this story. This story sets a precedent that, that floods are a sign of God's judgment. But, but this flood was, was in the past. It couldn't be the flood that Jesus is thinking of. And, and it gets even trickier because after this flood, God made a promise. Genesis nine eleven, God says, I establish my covenant with you, my promise with you, that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the Earth, And so we have to ask again, well, like, what flood does Jesus have in mind? What is he talking about? If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me all the way to the book of Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. And so you see, here in Genesis 6, in the beginning, after man messed up creation with sin, there's, there's a flood that God ordained, that, that God sent to, to restore his people, to save his people. In Revelation 12, John is writing about a vision of the future that the Lord has given to him. In Revelation 12, John writes about this war that he sees break out in heaven between Michael and his angels and, and the dragon who is Satan and his angels. So there's this huge war going on in heaven. This is the stuff of movies, I'm telling you. And, and what happens is the dragon gets thrown out of heaven and thrown down to earth. And I want you to read with me about what John sees next in his vision. Revelation chapter 12, verse 13 and following. It says, "...when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle." so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness, where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Verse 15. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. Verse 18, the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. Now, there is more interpretation here than we have time for today. Let's get coffee sometime. But for now, I want us to notice just a couple of things. Satan will imitate God's flood. You see, he wants the same kind of power. The enemy wants the same kind of power that God demonstrated way back in Genesis 6. But isn't it good news that he imitates the flood unsuccessfully? That when he, in his anger and his wrath and his bitterness, comes and tries to flood the earth and take the life of all those who trust in Jesus, the earth simply swallows it up. Sci-fi ain't got nothing on the Bible. I want to see that. And so I have to ask, could it be that this is the flood that Jesus has in view? That when the flood came, when this flood comes, those who have built their lives on Christ will be saved from it. He's warning these listening disciples by way of illustration that, that when the flood comes, those who will be saved are those who do what Jesus says who hear him, who come to him, and then follow him in obedience. Those who keep his commands and hold firmly to the testimony of who Jesus is, writes John. That's number one. But the second thing I want us to notice is this. Before Satan begins his attack on God's children, Satan is standing on the sand. Luke, in his version, says, that the house uh, apart from Christ is built on a ground without a foundation. Matthew, when he tells us this illustration, actually says the the foolish man builds on the sand. And and that's probably how you learn the song too, right? But, But either way, the point is clear. When you build on the sand, Satan is standing nearby, waiting to flood your life and destroy it. And so the good news of the gospel today is that Jesus saves his people from the enemy's flood. You see, whether you survive the flood always depends on whether or not you have faith in Jesus. That is the only thing that matters. I want to read one more verse about what eventually happens to that dragon who was standing, down, uh, standing on the sand. Revelation 20 verse 10 uh, says this, Just as Satan is making his final advance as he's coming to destroy anything and anyone that's left, Fire rains down from heaven. And scripture says this The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Any good hero defeats the enemy, and we're all looking for a hero to follow. Build your foundation, build your life on Jesus Christ, because in the end, he wins. Jesus, our hero, defeats the enemy. He saves you from the enemy's flood. So build your life on that foundation. Blake, I hear you. Simple message. Build your life on Christ. But there's that gap that you were talking about between hearing and doing. How do I bridge that gap? How do I trust God more? To bridge the gap between hearing and doing, you have to dig deeper. As Jesus finishes his sermon, we have to remember the scene of the sermon one more time. Jesus had been up on the mountain, right? He'd been up on the mountain praying, and, and after which he appoints the 12 apostles. And then he comes down the mountain, and there's a large number of his, of his disciples and, and a crowd of people from everywhere. They come, and they've traveled, and they're wanting Jesus to to heal, him, to heal them. And, and, and then he heals them, and then he starts preaching. At some point, he says, I'm preaching to whoever will listen. And now we've come to the end where this invitation, where there's this invitation. Jesus says, listen, you've you've heard me. And you have a choice as to to whether or not you're going to follow me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and not do what I say? And so what is the invitation? What is Jesus asking them to do? He's asking those who have heard to, to leave everything behind and come with him and follow him. He's saying to them, your whole life has to be built on following me. Now, I want you to imagine being the disciples that day. They've watched as Jesus has healed these people, as power has come out of him. And some of the people from the crowd who had been healed are just excited to get back home and tell all their friends about what's happened. So they're leaving. They're going back to to friends and family. They're full of joy because they're healed. and, and, And these disciples are literally watching people go home and they're having to make the choice. Do I want to go home and enjoy all the things about home? Or do I want to be with Jesus? Do I want to give everything to Him? it's clear. He's invited you to to leave all that behind and to follow him, to have this new life in him. All you have to do is do it, to trust that he will provide, to trust that that he is the one who will sustain you and direct your life, that he has a better plan for your life than you do. Would you go? Would you trust everything to him in that moment? Like, how would, how would even, like, I don't know. If, if Jesus walked in here today and said, listen, I know this is going to sound crazy, but, but if you will come with me, leave everything behind, whatever your plans are for the rest of the day, the week, like, leave everything behind and come with me, would you go? How do you do that? Like, that doesn't even make sense in our world. And Jesus gives us the answer. Look back at the first man building his house. Jesus says in verse 48, This man is building a house. When he built it, he dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. The Greek word, to dig deep, gives this image of excavating. Like going in and like clearing the ground. And so you dig and you clear out whatever exists between what you're doing now and what Jesus has told you to do. Sometimes that's like simple fill dirt, and you're just shoveling, and you're throwing it out like nobody's business. Sometimes it's some big boulders, and like it's really hard to figure out how to get those things out of your life. All of it is hard work, but the idea here, right, when you dig deep, is that you stop at nothing, and you spare no expense to have everything in your life built on Christ. The words of this book, the life of Jesus Christ, is worth building your life on. I love the way Isaiah speaks about this in Isaiah 51.1. He says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut, and to the quarry from which you were dug. If today you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you believe that that this, this Scripture is God's Word, And if you believe that God's word tells the true story of Jesus, then there is no other quarry to dig in. There is nothing else that you can do in this life to to add to it or take away from it. It is the, the quarry to dig in if you want to dig deep and have a life that will stand firm on the day of the flood. And so I want to encourage you. I want to invite the Holy Spirit in this time and in this place to answer this question for each of us. What in my life is not built on Christ? We may not always like the answer. What in my life is not built on Christ? Is there a place where I need to dig deeper? This past week... Uh, I got to go with some other guys from here at church to a conference. And uh, anytime you go to a, a conference where you're gonna, you know, you're gonna hear good preaching and all the things, like you come expecting to hear from God, but you're not sure what that's gonna look like, right? And uh, I was uh, sitting in one of the sessions and the, the sermon was all about preaching the word. Preach the word, preach. The, that was the main point. I heard it 83 times, preach the word. Hmm, good, Good stuff. It really was good stuff. Took lots of notes. And as the, as the preacher finished, he began praying God's word back to him. And he began praying a, a passage of scripture that, that I knew and was familiar with. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 20 and 21. This isn't on the screen. You just have to listen. The prayer is this. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing to his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That sounds like a pretty normal prayer, Blake. See, here's the thing. In the very first meeting that I ever had with Lee Webb about being a part of the family of believers here at Christ Community, he shared with me that verse. He said, we're, we're looking to hire someone and, and this is the, the verse of Scripture that we're praying as we look to hire someone. And so when I heard that prayed again this last week, the Holy Spirit just punched me in the gut. Because I came back to that moment in time. And the Spirit said this. He impressed this on me. You thought you were the answer to that prayer, didn't you? And I realized in that moment that literally anything in our lives, even the really good things, can be built on foundations that we have made up. And I was so deeply convicted, and I need to tell you that I am sorry. Because for the last 10 years, the foundation of ministry has been, man, you are are an answer to that prayer. That prayer isn't about Blake. That prayer is about Jesus Christ. And so now I want to ask the Spirit to answer the question for you. What in your life Is not built on the foundation of Christ. Because we can have some really good things and do some really good things that are built on us. Is there a place, Lord, where I need to dig deeper? Is my marriage built on Christ? When I peel back all the date nights and common interests and physical attractions, is the foundation of, of you and your spouse being together built on Christ? Have I trusted Christ to build my marriage? Is your marriage built on the truth of Genesis 2, where God designed not only males and females to complement one another, but also gifted them with marriage, where a man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife? Is it built on the truth that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives are to respect their husbands. Is my marriage built on Christ? Are you doing your part to to dig up anything that is keeping your, your marriage from growing and being built on that foundation? Is my family built on Christ? When someone asks your kids what it's like to be a part of their family, would their answer reflect the fact that the way your family makes decisions and and spends time and money is built on Christ leading your family? Does your family even recognize that it's Christ who leads them? Do you talk about him or do you talk to him even? Have I trusted Christ to lead my family, to build my family? Is your family built on God's words in Deuteronomy 6 that teaches us to repeat God's word to our children? Talk about them in the house and on the road and at bedtime and during the day and, and any chance that you get. And if not, how can I dig deeper to make sure that I'm building my family on Christ? Is my work built on Christ? Or am I logging in and showing up just to collect a paycheck? If I'm the boss or the the owner at work, am I working to advance his kingdom or my own? Do I trust that Christ has placed me in that job for this season, that, that he might have me there for a reason beyond financial gain and personal happiness? Or is that what work is about for me? Is my work built on the truth that whatever I do, I should do it as though I'm working for the Lord and not for men. And if not, how can I dig past my doubts to make sure that I'm building my work life on Christ? Build your life on Christ, dig deep. Dig deep. You dig deep by continuing to ask, where is my life not built on Christ? Where is my life built on ideas that I've come up with or ideas that the world say is good? Dig deep because the flood is coming. Listen to me, says Isaiah. You who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry, from which you were dug. Okay, Blake, a little challenged, but i going to be honest with you. I'm tired of digging. I'm content. I like my life. And you know, when I stop and think about it, there's just so much dirt to dig to get to rock bottom I'm not sure that I want to deal with that. The overburden is just that, a burden. And to make it worse, like, I know what I need to do. Like, the Spirit has made really clear to me today some of the things that I could be digging deeper on. I hear Jesus telling me what to do. I just don't want to do it. You know, Blake, I think I'd just rather drown than dig deeper. I have a brother in Christ who felt that way once. His name was Jonah. You might remember him. He dealt with some water problems too. God had told him to get up and go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked, evil nasty place but Jonah knew what he needed to do but you know what he didn't do he didn't trust that God would keep him safe on that journey he didn't trust that God was in control so he hopped on a ship headed the other direction anybody ever done that and God sent a storm big one Big storm. And Jonah, sitting on the boat in the storm, knew that he was to blame. So much so that he told the men on the ship to just throw me overboard to make it all stop. You see, in that moment, he preferred drowning to digging deeper. And we can sit here and judge Jonah all we want, but the truth is is that that's where most of us are. We know, we've heard what the Lord is asking us to do. But we don't want to do it. We would rather drown than dig deeper. After all, hadn't Jonah messed things up so badly at this point that it just didn't seem like a point in fixing it? Like, what, what was he going to do? He's in the middle of the ocean. You know, I kind of wonder... What thoughts flooded Jonah's thinking as he was tossed overboard in the storm and hit the water? Like, when he hit the water, did he just allow himself to to sink because he'd completely given up? Or did he hit the water and, like, realize, like, I'm not sure this is a good idea and start treading water? Isn't that interesting to think about? Like, what do we think about in those moments? And so here Jonah is, thrown overboard, hitting the water. I don't know if he's sinking, if he's swimming, I don't know. But what we do know is this, Jonah 1, 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That day, God saved Jonah from flooded lungs so that he could get these words out to the Ninevites. Here were the words. God is going to take you out in 40 days if you don't repent. Boy, that sounds like fun to say to an evil city. But God, God changed their hearts. And these Ninevite people, they trusted God by way of Jonah who had been saved by God. Generations later, another brother of mine, Jesus Christ, told Jonah's story in an attempt to help us make sense of his. Matthew 12, 40 and 41, Jesus says, "'For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights,' So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men, of, the men of Nineveh, catch this, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. They will be there because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. It's here. Jesus didn't just save Jonah and the Ninevites from the flood. He saved you as well. Something greater is here. And so even if, even when you and I would rather drown than dig deeper to figure out what it means to build our lives on Christ, even then Christ will save you. He'll send a big fish if he has to on the days when we would rather drown than dig deeper. Here in a minute, We're going to sing these words. There's no shadow, he won't light up. There's no mountain, he won't climb up. There's no wall, he won't kick down. No lie, he won't tear down. Coming after you. Coming after you. To know that Jesus loves you so much that he would do those things in an effort to get you to simply do what he tells you to do. Are you running from the Lord today? Trying to get away from your sin? You're trying to get away from the pain in this world? Jesus is telling you to repent. Stop it. Stop running and return to me. Build your life on me. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? What's your next step today? For some of you, you're realizing today in this moment that you've never actually trusted Jesus with your life. You've just been building on your foundation. It feels like a good one. Until now, it's starting to feel a little sandy. If today you need to trust Jesus for the first time, I'll be down front when the band comes in just a moment and plays. And there'll be folks in the back here that would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to repent, to just say to the Lord, I'm done running. And I trust you to be my Savior. For some of you today, baptism might be your next step. Scripture says that baptism corresponds to God's flood. And it saves you like the ark saved Noah's family. Not because you wash off all your sin, but because it's a pledge of a good conscience towards God. It's a, it's a sign, a symbol, a pledge that says, I believe in Christ as my Savior. I trust Him as my Lord. And I want to do what He says. Baptism is a pledge that you will do whatever it takes to build your life on Christ alone. And if today, you've been baptized after personally believing in Jesus, then we want to invite you to come and take communion. Communion is our weekly reminder and renewal of that pledge to Christ. It's that pledge that says, I want to build my life on you, so when you're telling me the things in my life that aren't built on you, I want to repent, I want to stop, I want to turn, and I want to dig that out and figure out how I build that part of my life on you, Lord. And as we come, as we take the bread and the juice, it reminds us of his body and his blood that we are building on. He is our strength, he is feeding us as we dig deep to build our lives him because it is in him and through him that you are alive even on the days that you'd rather drown than dig deeper let's pray Jesus, you are a worthy hero. You are worth following. You are worth building our lives on. And so I just pray that through your spirit, right now in this place, you would impress deeply on us the areas and the things in our life that are not built on you. Lord, as you impress those things through your spirit on people's hearts and minds and souls, I pray that we would immediately turn and cast that burden on you and say to you, I repent. I'm, I'm done trying to do this myself and I trust you, Lord, to show me how to build my life. Because we know that you are good and you are God and you are coming after us to win us and to save us from the enemy. Spirit, reign in this place in each heart over the next few minutes as we respond to the good news of the gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, If you're a part of Christ Community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ Community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack and I will see you on the trail thanks for listening to the backpack a production of christ community church the backpack is hosted by dj williams daniel bright and josiah ward you can learn more about christ community church at loveshelbyville.com